Welcome to your situation is your opportunity. I am Nomadic, your host on this journey where we listen to the stories of people who have turned an ordinary situation into an extraordinary opportunity. Each month, we feature one guest who will share their story with you. And then we'll dive into a conversation that is ignited by their story. Hidden in your current situation is an opportunity uniquely designed for you. Let's give a warm welcome to this week's guest, Devin Alexander. Devin, your situation is your opportunity. Back in 2011, I was arrested for minor cannabis possession. I had intentions on joining the US Air Force, but due to my arrest, you know, those ambitions quickly got derailed. I was at a loss for what I wanted to do next in life. I took a whole year off before I enrolled into community college, got an associate's degree in psychology, but then quickly realized if I wanted to work in psychology, I would need way more than an associate's degree. And I was so done with school at that point in time. I started working at a local CVS pharmacy as a pharmacy technician back in 2016. I learned all the processes. And then from doing that, I quickly realized that everything that I learned in the pharmacy could translate very easily to work at a medical marijuana dispensary, which I did in the summer of 2018. It was a local marijuana dispensary known as Ermont Incorporated. I started off as a bud tender, and then I quickly rose up to the ranks of director of community outreach. So I was located in my hometown and I was doing initiatives that helped my local community while getting paid by a cannabis company. I did community cleanups. I did volunteer efforts with the local homeless shelter, animal shelter, food pantry. And then in 2019, I organized an expungement clinic in the city of Quincy, where I gave individuals that were impacted by the war on drugs pro bono assistance from legal attorneys that helped them get these charges removed from their criminal record. Shortly thereafter, I enrolled into Massachusetts Social Equity Program, a program that was designed by the state to give individuals such as myself a footstep in a way to obtain ownership in this marijuana industry in Massachusetts. According to the American Civil Liberties Union, African Americans and Caucasians both use cannabis at similar rates, but African Americans are four times more likely than their Caucasian counterparts to be arrested for that cannabis use. So that's really played a whole role into this restorative justice piece. In May of 2020, I formed the LLC for my business, which is known as Rolling Relief LLC, a marijuana delivery operator company. Rolling Relief has the ability to wholesale products from cannabis cultivators and cannabis product manufacturers store at our facility overnight and deliver them directly to consumers' households. Wow, you've had a 
very interesting journey to this point. And the first question I have of many is tongue in cheek. And I, I want to know from you, is the grass greener on the other side? A hundred percent. It is definitely greener on the other side. Back when I was arrested, people called me, you know, a bum, a loser, someone who would never do anything with their life. That was 2011. And medical cannabis didn't even come online in Massachusetts until 2012. So it was really taboo at that point in time. If you had told me at that point in time what I would be doing right now, I would have laughed in your face. Wow. So how do you... Like, how do you deal with or even curate the voices that you allow to speak into your life? I keep in a tight circle, you know. Um, my family and friends who are very close to me have been always supportive, but it's really been the outsiders who have really talked all the junk that could have, you know, persuaded me to do something else. But I didn't listen to those noises. You have to keep tunnel vision, you know. It's like a racing horse. You get the blinders on both sides. You're just looking straight for the end game. What have been what have been some of the real uh, obstacles and roadblocks up to this point? Well, definitely one of the real obstacles has been you know raising capital for the business. So cannabis is still federally illegal, which means that we can't go to a bank for a traditional small business loan. So you have to depend on private investors, and you know you're at the mercy of them. You know they know that you need them bad. So. There's a lot of you know nefarious terms and nefarious deals out there, but you know if you remain steadfast in your pursuits, and you remain diligent and knowledgeable about the regulatory landscape, you can overcome these obstacles. What's interesting to me hearing you speak is that in your story you said you got an associate's degree, I think, in psychology, and you realized to do more with psychology you needed more schooling, but you were done with school. But it sounds like from the, the language you're using that you've really learned so much about like, how do you set up an LLC? I don't even know what LLC even stands for. So how, do, <laughs> how do you go from I'm done with school to you're, you're just speaking on this whole other level? Well, really it's just, they weren't teaching what I wanted to learn. And so a lot of what I know has been self-taught and that's um, through the internet. When used properly, the internet can be a powerful tool. There's damn near almost anything that you can teach yourself, but it really comes down to the person and you know having that motivation to go above and beyond and you know wanting it enough. You know, were were there people in your life who kind of an example of of what someone what what you could become? Not in this state, you know. Um, in Massachusetts, you know. The delivery license is fairly new. Um, our application was only released in May of 2021. And when it comes to you know, where we are in the queue, um, we're number six to obtain the license that we have out of the entire state of Massachusetts. So there wasn't really a blueprint for us to follow um, because our regulations were different than every other state. Massachusetts is very stringent on what they would do with cannabis. So there was a lot of self-learning for sure. Did you ever feel like just giving up? Oh my God, I can't even begin to explain how many times that you know I've thought it, it definitely crossed my mind. But then you know the other thought that crossed my mind was you know the always wondering 
what if, what if that you went through, what if you did this, what if you did that? And I think that outweighed, you know, the emotions of giving up because if I um, wandered around the rest of my life wondering what if, that definitely would have, you know, ate me up inside. So it sounds like a balance. It sounds like there was one, one heavy side that was, I want to give up but it sounds like the side that outweighed those thoughts were the thoughts around, I want to know what could happen if I don't give up. A hundred percent. And definitely the latter outweighed, um, you know, the previous statements and just people telling me that, you know, they look up to me and that I influenced them. And you know, that's never happened to me in my entire life. Like I didn't set out here to be influenced to anybody. I just wanted to sell weed legally. So like if I can better myself and influence people to better themselves just by me bettering myself, um, I lived a good life for sure. So you said you went to, was it jail or prison for, for possession? Um, I was put in a holding cell at the local police department for 10 hours. What was that? What were the emotions, the thoughts? How, how was that situation for you? damn, I fucked up my entire life right now by making a stupid mistake. I can't come back from this. Everyone's going to look at me different from now. So you basically realized or believed that your whole life was over. Why do you think you thought those thoughts? Because that's what society portrayed upon us. You know, um, just say no movement of the 80s, Ronald Reagan and the other, you know, marijuana, reefer madness propaganda has really encompassed a lot of people's psyche and you know that's decades and decades of you know spreading that rhetoric so we have to undo all of those years of unjust learning do you currently have people in your life that you know who are struggling with undoing those thoughts a hundred percent a lot of people around me um you know um I didn't grow up with money. You know, we grew up on section eight, you know, nine people living in a three bedroom apartment. And there just wasn't too many role models to look up to at that point in time. So I really had to forge my own path. I'm really curious, how does someone from your situation, like how, 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 do, you, how do you get over that hurdle of, okay, my life is completely messed up to know I can do this. I'm just really curious, what was, maybe tell me a little bit more of the, of that journey. Oh, I have to thank my mother. Um, my mother, um, Tracy Campbell, one of the greatest people walking on this planet. Um, we're very close. We're 16 years apart in age. Um, so like she was, she's my best friend and she wouldn't let me give it down to myself or you know, so tell me that I couldn't do something. So I have to thank my mother for everything they have going for me right now. Were you just raised by your mother alone? And my grandmother. You know, when my, my mother went to school, um, she was still a teenager at that time. So I was spending wow. a lot of time with my grandmother and my mother. Um, and, you know, you know, two strong women that I look forward, looked up, looked up to. And, you know, they're the reason why I have such resilience and perseverance. So how do you think your mother was able to become the person that she is? Because you, you grew grew up with her yeah. so I, I, in in her journey were there elements of her journey where you saw her come to a new realization that 
I gave her hope for her life, your life. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who she looked up to because there's really nobody for her to look up to, but I guess she just saw it herself, an individual. Um, she eventually worked her way up and was able to buy, you know, her own house. And, you know, everything that she said that she was going to do, we were living together, you know, in a crowded apartment, you know, she ended up doing. So, I mean, that was all the influence that I needed. You know, she said what she was going to do for years and then eventually executed on those plans. What role has she taken in your current dream, in your current project, in your current business? She really, you know, injected the confidence I needed to go off my own. When I started working at a dispensary, I was very content with just being a bartender, an entry-level worker. But she was the one who told me, you know the game, you work very hard, you're very passionate about what you do, why can't you do this yourself? And, you know, if my mom has my back, that's all I need. Do you think, in general, that we have a responsibility for the dreams of others? It all depends on the relationship that you have with others, right? Um, if, especially if that's your, your child, someone that you created, literally. You want to give them, inspire them, and you want them to be better than you could have ever been. And I think that's what my mom really set out to do. You know, she spent her whole childhood raising me. She wasn't, you know, going out, taking vacations, partying and shit. You know, she was going to school and making sure that I grew up, you know, as a proper human being. Do you have a, a personal mission statement or a personal why that guides you in life? Yeah, it's just to show people that, you know, you don't have to come from money. You don't have to have all these resources. You don't have to have these fancy degrees to do what you want to do. You know, never let anybody tell you what you can't do, especially if they don't even know you in the first place. They look at you, they see how you dress, they see where you come from, but they don't even sit down and have a conversation with you and get to know you in the first place before judging you. Why do people, why do you think people judge others Societal norms, you know, society has placed these normalcies upon people that these people from here have to be this way and these people from there have to be this way. This person from this skin color has to act this type of way while this person from this skin color acts this type of way. It's, you know, it should all plays into the American society of, you know, things that have been going on for decades now. Um, if you look at, you know, most inner cities and in most predominantly African-American communities, you, you, you go there, look at those neighborhoods, you know, nine times out of 10, there's a lot of fairly subsidized housing. There's a lot of welfare. There's a lot of Section 8, a lot of liquor stores, a lot of sneaker stores. Then you go to affluent white communities, you know, there's private schools, there's Whole Foods, there's all these things, these resources to help people succeed in society. So it's really, you know, just tipping the scales either which way. So it, it's, it sounds to me like the, the things placed in one's community, in one's environment, environment in one space has an impact on the their possible direction that happen for them a hundred percent you know you want to you know reduce crime don't you know put more police presence in there put more resources for people to you know where they don't have to be on the street doing all this you know put more money into after school programs put more money into extracurricular activities for these people to go out and you know obtain goals that they didn't think were feasible have you, um, have people in your journey shared with you that you have inspired them? 
Yes. And I think that's the most craziest thing that I've heard. And I never get tired of hearing it because I'm no Tony Robbins. I didn't set out to be a huge role model. I just wanted to sell weed legally. And, you know, multiple people have told me, you know, they've inspired, I've inspired them. And, you know, if I can get people to better themselves just through me bettering myself, you know, I've lived a worthwhile life. So you say you're, you are no Tony Robbins, but now you're, you're hearing that you are inspiring people. What, what do you think now are the elements of inspiration? Like what, what, what are the foundational roots or principles around inspiration that you think are true now that maybe you didn't think? Perseverance, not giving up, believing yourself. Sticking to your morals, not selling out, not selling your soul. Um, you know, there's been plenty of times in this journey where I've could have sold out to, you know, large corporate entities to get to where I am now. But, and I would have, you know, been where I am now a year and a half ago if I did. But we wanted to take the long road and we wanted to do it on our own terms. Why, why did you not take the easy route when it was offered to you? Because I wanted to do stuff how I want it. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do, how to act, how to dress, how to talk, you know? So I was willing to take the long road instead of selling myself short. Would you say that you are stubborn? Personally, I wouldn't, but some people probably would. <laughs> okay. So, so I like to I'm, I'm, of course. I'm open-minded, you know? Um, I could be stubborn and in a sense where, you know, you don't even know me and you tell me I can't do something. So it's like, yo, I've had multiple people on this journey tell me that, but nobody knows you better than yourself, right? So I just confided on myself, stuck to my guns and just do what I know works. Really just knowing your limits, um, knowing what works for you um, and just realizing you don't know everything. There was always gonna be something else to learn. You do not know that. You know, I thought I knew a lot back in the early stages of the process, but after a few months, I quickly come to find out that I have so much more to learn. Until the day I die, I'm always gonna be a student. That's really interesting because that is something that I have seen as well. I've had a chance to work with some extremely world famous people. And, and the, more, the more epic the person, the more humble, I found them to be. And I had this question, I was always wondering, what, why are these super epically famous people so incredibly humble? And in my own just kind of research, I realized it was because they felt that they were under the weight of, of, the, of the realization that there was so much more that they didn't know than they knew. And the more they learned, the more they realized they needed to learn. A hundred percent. And I, I'm sure anybody that tells you who's been through the process, it humbles them. You know, you get beaten down metaphorically in more ways than one. And I think that's what makes you realize you still have so much more to learn. How far away from your dream do you think you are? Uh, 
48 hours. We're gonna be doing our first deliveries this Friday. Um, we are based in Newton, Massachusetts. We are the first black owned cannabis business to launch in Newton, Massachusetts. And we're also the first social equity business to launch in Newton, Massachusetts. That's amazing. You are only 48 hours away from your dream. What, what types of people or partnerships or resources would you need now that you're 48 hours away? What, what types of partnerships and resources do you need going forward? People that I can trust, people that I can you know break bread with, hang out at the house on the weekend at a barbecue locally owned companies. You know, there's a lot of corporate and multi-state operators in the cannabis space here in Massachusetts. But when it comes to us, we want to work with people who respect the plant, who know the plant, and who are from Massachusetts, and they have good morals and good values. Do you, do you have any questions for me? Uh, <laughs> not that I can think of right now. Uh, it's really just you know, um, how much do you know about the space in, in uh, Massachusetts? Because um, our specific license type that we have is cannabis delivery, and it's been set aside for equity applicants. So we have a three-year window to run adult use cannabis delivery operations before the larger entities can get in the game. So this license type specifically is meant for mostly Black-owned, minority-owned businesses. When you use the term equity, is equity business? Like, what does that mean? So the dictionary term, and how I see it, is leveling the playing fields, right? You know, making it even for us. So with this exclusivity window that they've given us, their intention is to give us a chance to really get a foothold in the space and really obtain market share. You can look around at any state that has legalized adult use cannabis, and you will see it is mostly dominated by middle-aged white men, when middle-aged white men were not suffering from the ill effects of the war on drugs. It's crazy because I think like the country as a whole sees the cannabis industry as their opportunity for what they call, you know, reparations. But I mean, there needs to be social equity across multiple industries. There needs to be social equity for law, social equity for film, social equity for doctors, you know, Cannabis, you know, we've suffered the ill effects from cannabis, but that's only just one industry. Sure, it's a billion-dollar industry, but there's other billion-dollar industries in this country as well. Do you think life has a purpose? I like to think so. I think everything happens for a reason. You know, when I got arrested 12 years ago, I thought my life was over, but that really set me up to do what I'm doing now. If I wasn't, if I didn't go through that hardship, I most likely would not be in the position I am now. You know, it's um, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it's hard to see the light at certain times in the process. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Oh no, no problem. Um, you know, it's you know, I'm always happy to talk. You know, especially to a fellow you know minority owned business owner, business podcast. You know, us being the flat, first Black-owned Newton during Black History Month means a lot to me. You know, we're making Black history during Black History Month. And, you know, whatever happens, we'll be in the history books regardless.